We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 104. Our guest today is the daughter of two equestrian professionals, Tani Ziedler and Jan Tops. So it is no surprise that she absolutely kills it in the show jumping ring. Her story is absolutely goals, and it is really fun to hear about how she got to where she is today. So let's hear it from Julia Tops. So would love to get into a little bit about you and how you first got into the equestrian world. Obviously, you had some factors of both your parents riding and competing and being such a big part of the industry. So talk to me a little bit about your kind of first experience riding and and what that kind of looked like for you. Well, I pretty much was born, like like you said, directly into the riding world. So I don't even remember my first experience because I just have pictures of my mom and dad holding me in front of the horse. So I guess that would be really my first experience. But I guess what I remember was, you know, the whole pony thing, short stirrup, learning how to, you know, do the do the whole hunter thing. So I guess that would be my first like real competition experience. But totally. Yeah. yeah. Were you were you into it right away? Were you like chomping at the bit to ride? Mm-hmm. What was your what was your kind of like growing up junior year look like as far as showing and riding? Yeah, I would say like pretty much once I started to be like old enough, like four, five, where I could like have an opinion on those things, I was riding. I always loved like the horses and going to the barn with my mom and and visiting my dad there. Like I, I always loved being around horses and then it just progressed naturally from there. So I did like pony hunter finals and then I did equitation and I did hunters because I grew up in North America and I did jumpers obviously as well once I... um got a little older. So I did the whole kind of full junior experience, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah. Were you training with your parents? Did they like, how was that dynamic? Yeah, no, I didn't at the start. (laughs) I mean, of course they were there and they facilitated the entire situation for me, but yeah, my parents were always, when I was younger, they wanted me to get experience with different people. Also, I think like hunters wasn't exactly something that they wanted to teach and there was equitation. So yeah, I definitely went to different trainers with that, but I always followed my parents' show schedule. So like I did often change trainers just to stay with them. So yeah, but they didn't really teach me till I was 17, 18. Gotcha. And what did that look like as far as your mom and your dad's career at the time while you were growing up? What what were they doing at the time, like during the the peak of your junior career? So my dad and I, I think had already stopped riding. I was quite young when he, when he decided just to focus more on training and the uh, global tour. And uh, my mom was still competing. She was doing like World Cup, like qualifying for World Cup finals, going around jumping the five stars, like those kinds of events. So she was often traveling for that. But I was in high school or in school. So I still went to a normal, like I didn't do online learning or anything. So I was still in school and she would leave and I meet her kind of thing. So we would figure that out always with school. But yeah. It was mostly balancing school with her schedule. Yeah, totally. What was it like? Because obviously growing up with your mom and she had her business, she had her breeding farm. What was that like for you? 
Oh, it was so cool. So, so what we, it's a very small kind of breeding program when you compare it to the bigger ones that my dad has or other people have in Europe. So it was really nice to have like a kind of personal experience with it. So she started with a few of her best Grand Prix horses that had retired and I remember like the first two that were born, like we were there the morning after. And the one of one of those two is actually one that I still have right now is is India Blue. And so it's just been so nice to watch them literally progress from when they were, were born and develop personalities and go through different training moments. So yeah, it's been like a very, I guess, like eye-opening experience because usually as a junior, you get a very like produced horse because you're an experience. So how are you? going to teach a young one so it was nice to see the flip side of the coin of like what the effort is to put in from like the moment they're born to like getting them to whatever level in the sport that they can do so that was really I guess rewarding too to see and that's the one that you call apple right yeah okay what was it like I mean obviously you've been a part of that whole process what were some things that you saw in apple from like an early age that you're like this could be something significant well I mean she has a lot of quirks like she's a very like strong-minded horse and she was since she was little like even when she was for like when a rider first got on her she was like quite stubborn and I think that that's like kind of developed into her determination because she in the ring gives her all always like you know doesn't really matter like she you know, can be in like a little bit, she's a mare, so she can have a little bit of a moment before, but when she goes in the ring, she's all business all the time. So I think like you could, you could see that from when she was younger, like she's very determined to what she wants to do. You know? Yeah. And so she luckily developed into determination for show jumping. So she really is a show ring kind of horse. And um, I think you could see that from when she was, when she was younger. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about Apple and then your other main, your other main horse, Boo-Boo. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. me a little yeah. bit about their personalities and, and how you balance that between, you know, like hopping on one to the other and, and prep and how you get them ready and how they compare. So Boo Boo or Delacroix is more of an, I guess, newer in the sense that I got him when I was at university, which is always with a grain of salt. Cause I'm not there a ton. I'm, I'm there in the summers like fully, but with school I'm like flying back and forth and at that point I was based in Toronto so it took us like a bit of time to get to know each other just because he's he's like quite a sensitive horse and is a bit unique in the way he goes and so that prep was just like to be patient and to like just play around with it and see what worked for him before I before I showed and like what worked for him at home and like you know, all those kinds of intricate details so with him the prep was quite patient and I had to learn to be like quite like, I guess, like quiet and figure out like what worked better for him. Whereas Apple is like putting on an old glove. Like it's quite, we know each other quite well. She doesn't need to be ridden a long time before she goes in the ring kind of thing. She's at home, you know, likes to just keep it easy. She, you know, we obviously train a bit, but it's just a very different, she just needs different prep work. So it's, yeah, it's been nice to learn, I guess, both ways and just to let the horse go the way they want to. So Yeah. I think, I think that's like such a good skill set to have. And I think um, sometimes people get caught up in thinking they have a specific way to prep when it really, like what you were saying, it totally is horse by horse, case by case situation. And the minute that we start breaking out of our own molds of our ideal prep and then go into each horse's ideal prep, I think that's, they're happy and they're like willing to do whatever you ask them to do. So I think that that's really cool that you've been able to see those differences and adjust accordingly. As far as 
the global champions. Let's talk about that a minute because that's been something that it sounds like it was part of your dad's vision for a long time. So tell me a little bit about how he put that together and and how it got started and, and what it looks like now. Well, I was quite young when he was having this vision. So I'm, I guess I would just know from, you know, his later experience telling me about it, but yeah, he, he really wanted something that changed the sport, changed the way, like gave athletes more value as riders that brought people together from different countries. Like that's how the league came out. Like you shouldn't only have to ride with your nation, like playing with different ideas from different sports. Like my dad watches a lot of football, like European football (laughs) to clarify. And, you know, he always, like you saw formula one. So these unique destinations. And I think, um, he really wanted to bring something special to the sport with his kind of expertise. So I think that's how it all it all started and then developed into the league. But, you know, it started very like, I guess, just at home with the, the his own show too, which he developed to be quite like a world-class facility now. So I think it was like a very natural progression from there. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, now it's turned into, it is a lot of riders top, top goal to, you know, become a, a member of the team and, you know, to ride in, in that tour. So it's really cool to see how it has turned to, you know, just this idea that your dad had. And now it's like, you know, it's like essentially besides like world cup and the Olympics, it's like a huge goal for, you know, top riders. So it's, it's yeah. really cool to see. I'm, I'm very proud, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think it's, it's done a lot for a lot of people. And I think that he's very proud of that too, that like how much it's, you know, gave opportunity to people as well. So very proud. (laughs) Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about, because there was a certain point in your life that you switched, you transitioned from Canada to Europe. Tell me a little bit about like what, how, why that change came to be, how that transition went for you. That's a big change. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it just also happened quite naturally. Like I went to school in Calgary, like my, in high school. And so obviously I was based here and like would travel with my mom to the States and did, you know, WEF and I did some shows in California. And then I went to University of Toronto. And so then I thought, oh, maybe I'll just commute to Florida. But to be honest, I was in like a quite a rigorous program. And the time I had outside of riding wasn't really to organize things or like liaison with people. It was really just to show up and ride. I could only have that kind of trust with my parents to mm-hmm. at that point. So I did one season of Florida and then I was like, honestly, this was stressful for me yeah. and too much of a strain on away from my studies, which is really what I'm supposed to be doing. So I was like, I think it's easier, honestly, to do the flight to Europe. And I like looked into it. There's like the the late flight that leaves Toronto. So I could go to class and I land at 6am and then I'd make any kind of class that day. I'd stay there for three days. I'd uh, come in on Friday morning. I'd leave Sunday night. There was a 5pm black to Toronto. And so I really could do all I I wanted. And I made the rule with, I won't connect. Like I was like, unless if I'm going over spring break, I'm not connecting to get to a show because it's just too much stress. So, and which honestly, Toronto's a really big city. So you got most of those flights. So yeah, I was just lucky that that worked out. And then I came and everything was ready. And I was also got to spend time with my dad, which was really nice for me because I wouldn't, he's so busy and I'd be in school and we'd only see each other on holidays. So Mm -hmm. that was really nice as well. So it it just seems like a very natural, logical decision. So it worked out. (laughs) And then at that point, did you start training with your dad? 
Yeah. So I would, even before when I was going back and forth to Florida, I trained with, like I trained with Nick and Norman mm-hmm. in Florida, but then in the summer I'd still go back to Europe and train with my dad. So I think since I was 17, I've like trained with my dad, but I just had to make a little, some changes, but yeah, mostly my dad since I graduated high school. Gotcha. Cool. So obviously, you know, growing up with your mom and now doing stuff with your dad, every professional kind of has their own way of doing things, their own training style. How have you found that their kind of training styles differ? And what are some kind of like, what are some pieces that you've grabbed from each parent to make you the rider that you are? Yeah. I mean, my parents are very similar in a lot of ways in their focus and their dedication and determination. So I think like the overall approach to riding and like how I wanted to do it was pretty much the same from both of them. But my, my dad is very like, he's very cool about everything. Like, you know, he just gives the plan, but he's also very detail oriented, which actually works very well for me because I'm also like that. Like, yeah, you know, I want to go through things and like, make sure that you know, we cover, you know, whatever possible things that happen with your horse that, you know, obviously it's your horse, but moving on from that, like what that means on whatever horse you're riding. And so I think we communicate really well, my dad and I, and same with my mom, but my mom's always um, been the one that I call, I'm just like worried about this, or like, I'm not sure about that. And she's also, cause she knows my, the, the one young horse from her that I have. So yeah. I always call her to talk through like, some stuff like that. I mean, I can talk about it with my my dad too, but I always like to also talk about it with my mom, especially when it's like a bigger show or something like that. But, and my mom's very like supportive. She'll give the good motivational speak, like little speech whenever I, whenever I go in to something that I, I don't know, I'm not sure of, or when I did equitation, like finals, stuff like that. So, and she was definitely around more when I was doing in my junior year. So she was always quite realistic about what I could do with school and quite, yeah, she um, gave me the tools to, to balance it all, which, yeah. So they both are the same, but, you know, came at different points in my life to, mm-hmm. to help me through different parts of riding. So totally. So what would you say is like the best piece of advice you've gotten from your mom in terms of riding and uh, same for your dad? My dad is always like, you have to just keep putting in the time. And at one point it'll, it'll work out. Like it'll work out. Like, you know, the sport is very much about like you get knocked down and you get back up again. And it's, it's not, it's not like you live in the glory most of the time in our sport. It's can be very like tolling and he's always just like hard work and determination will you know you'll get there which I think is is quite accurate because it's very different than most other sports in that way and that the variables are there's so many and just on that breath my mom's always like you can't you know lose lose hope there's always you know there might be like a bad string of events and you know you just have to to keep having faith and the fact that you love the horses and the fact that you love the sport like one day it'll all pay off kind of thing. So both of my parents mm-hmm. kind of have two sides of the same coin. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're both ones like hard work, dedication. The other one's like, you just can't lose faith in those times that 
you know, it doesn't seem like anything's going your way, which we all have those weeks. So Mm -hmm. I think those are two great things to keep in mind, especially with our sport. Yeah. That's such a good point because it's like, you look at the top riders in our sport and then you look at their stats and how many starts they've had at events. And it's like, okay, yep. It's not always, you know, you're not always in the ribbon, something for all of the stars to align and for you to have a good finish. There's just so many factors and it's such a team effort and so much goes on in the, you know, the backstages and the the lead up to the actual event. So it's definitely a long process that I think the people who are the most successful have a mindset like your parents, like, okay, you like, there's going to be bad days a hundred percent. So like you have to push through them if you're wanting to see the good days. So exactly. Yeah. And cherish the good days, right? Because they're very few and far between. So right. And and like, yeah, in that same regard, there really isn't for the most part, such thing as a, a terrible, awful day, but like more like a learning experience. And if you can shift your uh, mindset to have that, I feel like that's also super helpful too. I wanted to take a quick second from this awesome interview to talk to you about our sponsor today, Groom Tote. Across all riding disciplines, there is a common thread, and that is riders and their horses have an unbreakable bond. Groom Tote is the only subscription box for the horse and rider where you get to choose the products, tailor-made by you, for you, and for your horse. By way of handpicked sourcing, Groom Tote sources premium products, full-size products that are proven, practical, and pretty for the subscribers. Each tote is filled with inspirations that every equine and equestrian will cherish. You can skip at any time you want or cancel, but you totally deserve this indulgement. This also makes the perfect gift or Christmas gift, which let's be honest, Christmas is right around the corner. So go ahead and head over to groomtote.com. That's G-R-O-O-M-T-O-T-E.com and grab your tote before it sells out. In each subscription box, which comes every few months, you can expect products from Equifit, Equine Omega, Farnham, Equus, and so much more. So head over to the website, check it out, pick your products, and then get the most amazing box in the mail. Thank you so much, Groom Tote. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's talk a little bit about balance because you juggle a lot and especially like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. I I ended up taking time off during my college when I did my um, undergrad studies and you are getting your master's degree, you know, showing very, you know, consistently and at some big shows, which involve, you know, a ton of preparation and how do you manage to do all of that? And what does that look like for you as you balance both your education and riding? Yeah. So, I mean, it takes a lot of sacrifice for sure on both sides of the, of life, like with riding. I mean, I can't be there every day. I'm not person that can you know train and prep all the time so I do rely on like such a great team to like make this all possible obviously and that's largely to thank my parents for because if they weren't in the sport I don't think I could do it the way that I'm doing it right now which is obviously super helpful but beyond that just at school I mean like I'm not the one that always gets to go and you know be with my friends and you know go and you know take advantage of every academic opportunity because sometimes I have to go to the show that weekend and so there I mean there's sacrifices on on both sides that I made but I think that the the way I felt like best about myself is doing it both to the best of my ability. And so 
my parents and I made a good choice like early on like I don't want to jump more than two stars like it's it's not for the way I want to do school and the way I wanted to excel to get into my master's program at, at, at LSE and to then do well in my master's it just wasn't realistic and then I go to the show and I'd like have fun and feel good about my results because I'm you know I don't want to go just to like barely survive like I want to go to have good results and you know at that any level higher you need to be you need to sacrifice more and for me school was important so I think that was also for me mentally a huge like relief just to be like no like this is you know unfortunately you can't you know do more progress more because you know realistically speaking with time you only have so much of it so I think that helped also just ease my my own like worries about you know trying to do both at an adequate level so yeah yeah, I think that was a huge part of it too Totally. When are you planning to graduate? So I, I handed in my thesis August 24th, so soon. Yeah, almost a month. And then I'm done officially. Uh, I don't get, I don't graduate technically till December, but I don't have any more like requirements or anything past that. So soon. awesome. What yeah. are your goals as far as your education and career go? I'm going to take a year off after this, like just to ride. So you're off of that part of my life, I guess. Yeah. Not really a year off, but um, <laughs> Yeah, because I've never written full time. Like I graduated high school, I went to my undergrad, I graduated undergrad, I went to my master's. So I I want to experience what it's like and I want to put the time in to do it every day. And then I'll reevaluate what I want to do with regards to a career specifically. Yeah, I'm I'm open. I love writing, so I want to just see how that's going to what yeah. like, a larger role that will play in my life compared to my experience with school right. and like what possible careers I could have. So yeah. yeah, keeping my options open right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's good for sure. And yeah. I think that taking the time to take some time off instead of jumping into something, I think, is really cool because yeah, I feel like you would maybe like kick yourself down the road if you never, if you didn't give yourself this year to like I, see. Yeah, I to- I say that. Yeah, my parents are super supportive, and I say that all the time. I was like, I think that that will be such a, it'll be such a nice year, regardless, because I love writing, and beyond that, I think it'll be very enlightening as to how I want to structure my life. So yeah, yeah I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. So what will that year look like for you as far as competing? Like what shows are you hoping to go to? Are you looking to grow your string of horses? Like what will that all look like? Yeah. So, I mean, Corona kind of threw a a wrench in the whole situation. So barring that things don't get worse, our tentative plan. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'm going back to Europe actually pretty soon in the next couple of weeks, um, back to the Netherlands. And so I'll start riding again. I'm looking for more horses right now. I mean, it's hard to find them. And then on top of that, it's hard to travel and it's just, we'll see, but that's obviously the intention. And then yeah, so my my mom actually just bought a part of the Shanghai Swans team. So we were this year part of that. And then moving in next year, we also are. So I, I will try and go to the global tours. My eventual goal is to ride on the team. But my mom really believed in the in the cause and obviously family affair where we're right totally. in. So it's been nice. Like, yeah, she's all yeah, she's a supporter of that. So we'll see maybe if thing if the stars align, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully I'll get on. I'll be able to ride on the team at some point. And then I don't know, show schedule is really up in the air right now, but we'll see how it also depends what horses I have. So yeah, it's like very tentative, more tentative than I wanted it to be at this point. But I think 
life is a bit tentative right now. So totally. It, it changes from week to week at this point. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. second wave thing keeps going back and forth. So we, like, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. What would you, for someone who isn't super familiar with Longines Global Champions and the team, what what are some steps that you need to do in order to make a team like that? Man, I think that everybody has a very unique journey to get onto the team. Obviously, if you're in the top 30, you're highly sought after. You don't really have to do much. If you want to have a spot on the team, I'm pretty sure that you could have one. And then I think with young riders, it's it's a very unique opportunity. If you're consistent and you like keep putting in the time and the results on whatever circuit you're on, you seem to be found, like whether or not you're in America or you're in Europe or, you know, wherever, as long as you're at that level and you're consistently putting in your time and results, I think you get seen, which is Mm -hmm. quite unique in the sense that Nations Cups teams, you have to be like, depending on what nation you are, you have to be quite consistent. The competition can be quite fierce, but because there's so many people on a team like they can and you have to take a young rider which I think is is great I think it's also a good way for them to get experience on that level and with the pressure and I mean I'm hoping that that would also be an opportunity for me one time so yeah so I think it just really depends on like what your like what age you are what your goals are what your track record is everybody has a very unique way of getting there so which is nice opportunity is is everywhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's good yeah Absolutely. So what would you say, let's say this year goes amazing, you're loving it, you're wanting to continue with pursuing a a career in equestrian sport. What would, what are some long-term goals you have in mind for yourself as far as riding? Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully you're like in the next couple years, I'd love to get on a team. I mean, then I'd also get to travel with my dad a bit, which logistically works well and I'd also just like that would be so exciting for me after watching it since the start and then I mean I like all of the typical goals that most other people have to represent your country and you know very like world cup you know whatever that might be yeah I mean I think that I have to get through this year to I mean I have all those goals but I just have to see where that's going to fit in but yeah obviously I have pretty much probably the same goals as most people my age in the sport so yeah but for sure the league is my first step on that (laughs) absolutely yeah that's so exciting and I feel like you have some extra skin in the game being like what you're saying a family affair so Yeah, yeah I mean yeah and then you get to support each other so it's it's nice yeah yeah Totally. As far as, I mean, I'm trying to think, your dad was in the Olympics in 92, right? Barcelona. I Were you born yet? <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't. That's the year I, I was born. So I'm like, that. yeah, I do not, <laughs> do not recall. Um, but yeah, I think he's into three, but I medaled at Barcelona. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, I wasn't born for any of them. I don't. Okay. Gotcha. What are his kind of overall thoughts of his time, you know, participating in, and riding in the Olympic games? I mean, he speaks fondly of it. I I don't want to speak for for him, but just for what he's said to me, I mean, yeah, he had a cool, like a a unique team. There was only three of them at that point, which used to have a team of four when they won um, team gold. So, I mean, obviously Top Gun was the horse of his career. He speaks extremely fond of it and obviously his team at the time and everything. So I think obviously he speaks fondly of it. I don't know much more than that. It's so interesting to see and talk to people who have been a part of, especially in the equestrian sport, it's so unique in the sense that like 
one, you can be a part of multiple Olympic games. Like some, some athletes are, you know, they're lucky if they, you know, can get to one, maybe two. And so I think it, it is such a cool testament to the sport that it can be something that you can participate in multiple and you can keep riding for, for a lot longer than most athletes. And it's cool to see all of the changes that go on from year to year and, and how yeah. things, you know, just look different and progress throughout the years. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? Um, I mean, I don't know if, if I have any area that most people don't know about or don't talk about, but I mean, I love just your time with your horse at home. Like I've, I've always said that, like, I think it's such a that partnership is, you know, why I don't play soccer or why I don't play volleyball or something like that. So for, for me, like that was such a huge part of getting into the sport and like from a little girl, like my, my love of it. So I think that that's something that's like, an ex, like, I guess it's, you know, everybody trains at home, but maybe mm. not everybody loves, you know, their time as much. And, you know, I think when you have so many horses, I'm also lucky right now, I only have a few, so I get to like really connect with them. So totally. Yeah. It's something that I think you probably have to be extra mindful of with your schedule that you are, you know, if you're there for a shorter amount of time or you, like you were saying, you, you don't um, always have the luxury of being with your horses day in and day out that you're, you know, putting in the time for those moments to kind of bond with your horse in that way. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, and I also just like, I just feel very lucky that I, I get to have that with school because I know so many of my friends from my junior years who, you know, they went to university and they couldn't ride anymore. And so I, I guess I just became like a bit more aware of like how lucky I was that I got to keep doing it beyond my junior. Totally. Well, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I love hearing your story and all of the dynamics that, that go into who you are and the type of rider you are. And uh, so especially through this next year. I wish you all the best and I'm excited to follow your journey. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.